Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapp, and I'm here with Gary Arndt. He's been on the show a few times, and welcome back, Gary. Thanks for having me. It's been, what, over a year for sure that you've been doing your Everything Everywhere daily podcast. Am I right? Yeah, I started on Janu- uh, July 1st, 2020. I actually fi- took your advice because originally I was only listening to episodes that had titles that looked interesting to me. And then you said, no, Francis, you're wrong. You should just listen to everyone, even the ones that don't sound interesting, because you're going to learn something. And I took your advice, and you're right. <laughs> we live in a, a bubble, ever more so. Even though we have access to all the information in the world online, uh, we really only see things that algorithms tell us we want to see. So if the algorithms say, oh, well, you like World War II history, it'll show you more World War II history. But it won't show you something from Roman history or Chinese history. and Or how to bake it, a cake. You, yeah. And, and so the only way to really do that, and, and the, part of the reason for my podcast is to expose you to things. You remember that Donald Rumsfeld press conference from the, the Iraq war? The known war? unknowns and the unknown yes. knowns. <laughs> so the known unknowns. my podcast is about unknown unknowns. <laughs> it's right. about, I didn't even know that was a thing type experience that you can learn and, and do it in just like 10 minutes. It's brilliant for that. And and yeah, I actually do listen to every episode you put out and I, I congratulate you and I'm glad it's doing well. I mean, it is doing well, correct? I mean, how, how are things going? Yeah, it's it's doing about uh, 130,000 downloads a month. Uh, it's plateaued uh, the last two months, but some of that may have had to do with there was a bug with Apple. Yeah. Uh, Under-reporting uh, downloads. And I when they fixed it, I did notice they went back up as well as uh, a seasonal thing. Uh, podcasts usually slow down in the summers and pick up again around September when school starts. That's weird. I mean, I guess I can understand why, I suppose. Yeah. It's also just, you know, it's part of the nature of the medium. And it's, it's, the, it's the good thing and the bad thing about it. Podcasting is the last thing in the internet that is a throwback to the way the internet used to be. How so? Now everything is run by algorithms. And one of the, the frustrations I've had with, say, running a, a blog is that there are no blogs anymore. There are websites, but all, all of, like, just, you know, uh, for travel, which is, you know, our background, uh, my travel blog used to be a blog. I started traveling, and I would leave my thoughts for whatever, wherever I was for that day on my website. I would just write something pithy for a headline, and I wasn't doing SEO. I wasn't worrying about keyword research or anything like that. And people would come to my website every day or they, uh, they read it through RSS and, and that's what it was. And then eventually that stopped because people would fall, you expected to get stuff on Facebook or Twitter. And as a result, the percentage of traffic that came from places like Google increased and increased. So people began doing more and more to appease Google. And now everything is just listicles. Uh, top 15 things to do in this place, and it's all SEO-driven. And uh, one of the, the best thing, you know, quotes I've heard in the last year was someone saying, if you are creating content for an algorithm, you have no audience. You may have traffic, right, but you don't have readers. You really don't. You don't have anyone that knows who you are and cares what you have to say and wants to hear more about you in the future. You have people that accidentally went to your website to get the information they were looking for, and then left and probably will never return. Right. But with podcasting, if someone's listening to this show, they know who you are. You're the host. 
and they know your voice. They know they have a better idea of who you are as a person. So that's the good part. The frustrating part is that there is no algorithm. So you can't game the algorithm, which I've historically done a really good job of doing uh, for for things like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. But uh, because there's no algorithm, you have to basically create something that people want to share. And, oh, you know, because in word of mouth is slow. And that's a very difficult thing to do. It's the best and, and, and worst of the internet. But I think at the end of the day, it's far better than the alternative, which is having these giant companies sort of control who gets to see what. True. And speaking about giant companies that control things, I went to your fan page and I see that you're really getting into porn lately. Yeah, my fan page got <laughs> hijacked a couple days ago on Facebook and Facebook notified me. It's like, hey, just to let you know, you've lost control of your fan page. And then there is no means to contact someone or to rectify the problem. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. And I've spent a very long time going through everything that is publicly available on Facebook to solve this problem. I've started tweeting them, you know, trying to contact Facebook on Twitter. Um, but there's, there's nothing you can do. It's infuriating that they literally, it's not that they don't have customer service, but they have anti-customer service where they go out of their way. It's like, you know, on, sometimes on Halloween, you go trick-or-treating and there's that one person's house where they lead, take they turn all the lights off and they hide because they don't want to have to deal with kids at the front door. That's Facebook with customer service. They're literally turning the lights off, closing the drapes and hiding so nobody can contact them because they don't want to pay money for it. Crazy. What do you think is going to happen in, let's say, 50 years or maybe even 30 years? Do you think Facebook is going to be replaced by what? Uh, a lot of uh, Facebook now skews older as a demographic. I don't know if you've seen any of the stats on that, but there's a lot of like kids in high school that simply either don't have Facebook accounts or don't use Facebook. And I also think no one trusts Facebook. I think it's one of those things of the uh, network effect gone haywire, where you know the more people in a system, the greater the value, that there's a lot of people on Facebook because they're on Facebook. And... I am sp now spending most of my time on Discord, to be honest. Uh, there are Discord communities. They're, they're smaller. You know everyone there. Um, no one's tracking you. There's no ads. So it's a much better, and, it, and it's, it's basically a throwback again to the old days of the internet, where it might have been an IRC server. Uh, Discord servers were originally created for gamers to coordinate uh, their, their play. So you can do voice as well as share images and text and things like that. Um, it's like Slack if you're, if you're familiar with that, but it's, it's not necessarily for a, a business environment. And that's where I've been spending most of my time. And that's where I would prefer, uh, you know, people actually interact. The problem is everyone is so accustomed to just doing stuff on Facebook that it's hard to get them away from it. Do you have a schedule, Gary? Because you always respond quickly to my emails, and I think anybody's emails, not just me. And you respond well on social media like Facebook, for example. And I haven't tested you too much on Twitter. But do you have a schedule? Since there's so many different platforms out there, how do you do it? Do you say, okay, I'm going to spend half an hour on this, 15 minutes on that? Or it's just kind of ad hoc? I just don't have a life. <laughs> Um, I rarely check LinkedIn. 
that's just not a, a big deal to me because everything I do is basically uh, public facing. It's not a B2B thing. I don't really care about LinkedIn too much. And there's also uh, just a lot of the people on LinkedIn, everyone's a coach or they're trying to sell some sort of, you know, training program. And I, I, I don't care about any of that. And um, yeah, Discord, like there's a podcasting group on Discord that's grown a lot in the last few weeks. And a lot of like a lot of big name people are hanging out there. And it's a it's just a, a far better community than anything in, in social media. I think Twitter is toxic. Uh, Facebook is just brain dead. Instagram, they've killed so much organic reach because they want people to buy ads. So their Facebook has been purposely uh, trying to kill the influencer economy because every you know if you pay a thousand dollars to an influencer, that's a thousand dollars that Facebook sees that is not going to Facebook. So they've been reducing organic reach for everyone slowly over time, and they're going to make it such that if you want to reach people, you have to buy an ad and do it through Facebook. What about Clubhouse? I was doing that for a while, and Clubhouse is just a joke now. Uh, it's the same people having the same discussions over and over. <laughs> I haven't no, even I mean, participated in it, but, I, I, no, but I, so you, what you've missed it already. Okay. <laughs> the golden age of Clubhouse was in like February and January. It's gone. 2021. It's, okay. Yeah. I mean, and when I say it's the same people having the same discussions, I mean that in a very literal sense. Uh, there are people, you know, like there was this time when Twitter came out and it became a big thing. And like, then there was this rush, like, oh, if you don't get on board something early, you're going to miss it. And then Google Plus came out. There was a lot of this activity, but it wasn't because people loved Google Plus. It was because they all want to get their numbers up and, and, and do that. And that's what happened with Clubhouse. You had this group of people and they're literally spending 12 hours a day on Clubhouse, which is insane Yeah, because it's, it's Clubhouse is as if in a world where there was only Netflix, someone invented live TV and they said, Hey, I have this new idea. It's video, but you can only watch it if you're sitting there at the right time. And that's what Clubhouse is. And the the yeah so they try organizing these rooms but quite frankly it's yeah it's the same discussions over and over the travel story that changed your life okay maybe we could talk about that once and then doing it next week and next week and next week it's like well what the hell are you going to say and that's what it's become and people are trying to you know get all these followers and everything and yeah i i just think that that moment has passed and there was this talk like oh clubhouse is going to kill podcasting no it's not that's like saying twitter is going to kill books no it it's not going to happen let's talk about your top few episodes that in the last year it could be the top 5 it doesn't really matter just or whatever it pops into mind as some of the ones that you found either the most memorable or surprising, or noteworthy in one way or another. Uh, what comes to mind, Gary? One that, that kind of always sticks out is the story of Joe Medicine Crow, who was the last Crow war chief. Uh, Joseph Medicine Crow uh, fought in World War II, and he's a member of the Crow Nation. And in the Crow Nation, uh, they had a title uh, called a war chief, and it wasn't a title which was given, you had to earn it, and you had to earn it in battle. And the way you traditionally earn it is that you had to do uh, four things. 
You had to touch an enemy during battle without killing them. That's called counting coup. You had to steal an enemy's weapon. You had to successfully lead a war party and return alive. And you had to steal a horse. Joseph Medicine Crow did all the four of those things in World War II, including the stealing a horse. Um, the first two he did, he was uh, in a village, I think, in, in Belgium, and he turned a corner at the same time another German soldier was turning a corner, and they, like, bumped into each other. And they fought on the ground, and they wrestled, and uh, he ended up grabbing the German soldier's rifle, and uh, they kind of, the, the German soldier said something like mother, and they, it kind of broke up the, the hold they were in, and the German soldier ran away. So he both got the counting coup part and the stealing the, the weapon part. He was a scout. Uh, so he was doing reconnaissance before the main units arrived. And there's a, a legend that he was the first American actually to enter German territory in the war. Uh, so he actually did lead a party uh, that he actually received the French uh, Legion of Honor uh, f- for doing this. Uh, so that was the third part. And then towards the end of the war, they were going to this place that was held by the SS and they had 40 thoroughbred horses and they were going to start mortaring it. And he goes to the commanding officer and he says, Hey, before you do this, uh, let me go in and steal the horses. So he goes in really early in the morning before anyone gets up. He just uses a horse as a bridle and he, uh, gets on one of the horses, opens up the gate and herds them all out. And he, he got the stealing an enemy horse thing. And when he came back to Montana and he was talking to the elders about his war exploits, he didn't even realize it. They said, you, you did everything for the title of a war chief. You've, you've earned the title of war chief. And so he is the last, uh, not only member of the Crow Nation, but I think any, uh, Plains Indian to have achieved it. And he did it in World War II. Amazing. And speaking about the last person in World War II, there's also the story of, I think, the last person to die in World War I, maybe, or was it World War II? That guy who got out of the trench, and I think it was World War I, he got out of the trench and just ran basically on a suicide mission. And the Germans, I guess, didn't want to shoot him, but they eventually had to. And the armistice or the surrender officially was going to happen at noon, and he ran at like 11.59. <laughs> you can tell the story better than I can. Yeah, so uh, it was Sergeant Henry Gunther. And mm-hmm. when the, so the, the armistice was signed at, I want to say, around 6 a.m. in the morning. And at 11 is when everything was going to end. And you'd think that when the word gets out, hey, everyone, the war is going to end at 11, that you would basically just bide your time and do nothing and wait for 11, right? Which is That's, what most people did, actually. But uh, there were a lot, especially the Americans, who didn't do that. They kept oh. fighting till the very end because they assumed that the armistice would probably fall apart. Oh. And they didn't want to give up any territory. So, like, the American artillery units literally timed it. So that they fired their last shot such that it would land just before the stroke of 11. And a lot of the artillery units also, they didn't want to have to deal with all of the uh, munitions that were sitting there. So they just fired everything off. So they didn't have to 
to deal with inventory and, and, and taking it back or anything. And in the case of, of Henry Gunther, um, basically, yeah, they, they were pinned down by some Germans with a machine gun in this tiny village in France. They knew they just had to wait till 11. The Germans knew that they had to wait till 11. And for whatever reason, he gets up and starts charging. And the guys in his unit say, stop, stop, go back. The Germans are shouting, stop, stop, go back. And he's attacking the German position and, and they fire, uh, killing him instantly. And if you had, it's, it's really unknown. Um, he was demoted. He was a sergeant. He was demoted back to being a private. And some people think that it may have been his chance to redeem himself. Uh, he lost his fiance over it back home. So maybe it was depression and he was trying to suicide himself. And this was the last opportunity to do it. Nobody knows. What's your most downloaded episode? May have been one about uh, the seven people that run the internet. I don't remember if I listened to that particular one. I it, must have. That has to do with the domain name system. Oh, yeah. Now the I way the it, domain yeah. name system, it's, it's hierarchical. And at the end of it, there's a single set of servers that control everything. And there's this elaborate system where seven people have keys where they could reboot this ultimate last server if they actually needed to. And they have a, basically a ceremony that takes place uh, twice a year where they generate these keys and they have witnesses uh, to, to signify it and it's recorded. And the seven people are from all over the world. And it's a thing that they do. Um, and if, you know, it, it should be corrupted, that's, that's what they would do to, uh, to fix it. And I think that got passed around in some, some, some technology circles. Uh, every so often I'll get a, an episode that's passed around like that and it'll get a spike in traffic. And a real early one that I had that had a spike was, uh, the world's most dominant athlete. I use the word dominant. I'm very picky about it. And it's the world's greatest horseshoe pitcher. He basically has won everything almost everything for the last 25 years, or more than that, for 30 years, because he won his first world championship in 1989. Then he won he's won 24 championships. So he's won them in the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and then last year's the world championship was canceled. But he's still the world's greatest horseshoe pitcher and was expected to win. So if he wins this year, and I, I actually need to follow up on it. They may have done it. Um, he would have won a world championship in five different decades. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's horseshoe pitching. So he could he could be a great horseshoe pitcher, you know, into his 60s. It's it's not like it's, you know, uh, you know, football or something. What do you think about the fact that certain Olympians can get a lot more medals than others? For example, I just heard that a Cuban Greco-Roman wrestler won the last four gold medals. So that's 16 years or actually now uh, because we skipped a year. So it's actually 17 years of gold medals so basically the maximum that you could really get and then you got michael phelps who's got over 22 <laughs> yeah i mean so obviously swimming and gymnastics are the two areas where you can earn multiple medals and if you look at the all-time I, I just did an episode on this for like the olympic uh greatest olympian um but i should say this about michael phelps he's also more than doubled the next closest medal count for anyone in swimming. So even though swimming is inflated, he what he did in swimming was far greater by a, a wide margin than what anyone else has ever done in swimming. 
So, yeah, in swimming, it's like, okay, swim this distance. Now do it this way. Now do it this way. You know, so there's four different strokes. Okay, now you did 50. Now you do 100. Now you do 200. Okay, now we're going to do it with four of your buddies. Now we're going to do it with four of your buddies, but you're all going to switch swim different strokes. And so they just mix and match it so much that uh, it, it's easy. And there's, you know, there are some sports, I think, that could do more medals. Archery is a good one. Archery only has men's, women's, and then they have uh, uh, men's, women's team, and then they have a mixed team. And that's it. They don't do different distances. They don't do recurve versus compound bows, which is something they may do in the future. So one of the biggest Olympic stories this year was a, uh, uh, a woman. South Korea is great at archery. Don't know why. Um, but she basically had a perfect uh, Olympics. She won the individual gold medal, setting an Olympic record. She won the women's team medal, setting an Olympic record. And then she won the mixed team uh, event, setting an Olympic record. So she, she literally could not have done any better. Her name is An San. I'm thinking of actually doing an episode, like a recap of the Olympics, for all the stories that you didn't hear. Because there's a lot of these that kind of get overlooked because you only, like in the U.S., we only hear about stuff where the Americans were involved. Right. Like I was wondering who won the 100-meter dash this year, only to find out, oh, they already did it, and the guy who won was Italian. Right. And it wasn't, you know, a Jamaican or an American he was an Italian. Granted, he was—he has an American father, but um, he's lived his whole life in Italy. He knows, you know, speaks, speaks absolutely fluent Italian. That's his first language, and uh, I didn't hear about it because of this. And there's there's other things like that as well. Um, the the guy you mentioned in Greco-Roman. There's been a few people that have won gold medals at four different Olympics. Right. Um, if the women's basketball team wins a gold medal this year, both Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi will have won gold medals at five Olympics. Wow. And that's only been done by one other person, Steve Redgrave, who is a rower from Britain. Wow. Now, here's the great thing. Diana Teresi is 39, and the next Olympics is three years away, not four years away. Mm. So she would be 42, which is very possible to, to be playing at a competitive level, especially if you want a seasoned leader on your team. She could become the first person in history to win a gold medal in six different Olympics if she's on the team in Paris in 2024. And, and I kind of hope she is just because. And if <laughs> because she I wins. Love... And if their team wins. Well, yeah. I mean, but the, Amer- I mean, the American women in, in basketball are, I think, very clearly the, the best team in the world. And, and I can say that more than I can about the men. The men won the gold medal this year, but I think it's very plausible that there are uh european teams out there that could uh beat them because uh, there's a lot of really good you know the last three nba's uh, uh mvps in the nba came from europe why by the way does the american team not sport its best nba players often is it because they're afraid of injury or they're just not compensated yeah. enough Injury, that, that's one of the big things. I mean, you do get a, a few star uh, – Kevin Durant was on the team this year. LeBron James has been on it in the past. But it's not considered to be, yeah, a thing. You it's know, in weird. soccer – I mean, like, uh, if, I have a, if I'm an NBA player and I have a chance to get a gold medal in the Olympics, I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. I don't care if I'm on the bench. I, I do think it's injury. Uh, the, the NBA is never really strongly behind it. Giannis Akiatempo, who's – I think the best player in the NBA right now is with the Bucks. He just won an NBA title, uh, was not on the Greece team. And he's from Greece, and he probably should have been. 
Right, um, but I can that I can understand a little bit more just because Greece has no hope in hell in winning a gold medal or even any medal. And so, therefore, yeah, I understand. Could. If he was on the team, they absolutely could be in medal contention. Okay, all right. I trust maybe, you on that maybe, one. Maybe not a gold medal, but I think they absolutely... Giannis and his brothers, he has like four different basketball-playing brothers, they could make up the Greek team. <laughs> and and they would... I'm, I'm not even joking, because they all play either professional or, you know, highly competitive basketball. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, maybe not a, a gold, but certainly a silver or a bronze is, is not out of the question at all. all and right. Greece well, actually okay. does have yeah. a good pro league, one of the best in Europe. Okay. I'd say along with Spain. Okay, okay. So I'll take that one back. But but you understand my point is if you come from a country, I don't know, like Iceland, and you happen to play on the NBA, but Iceland doesn't have a chance, why would I join the national team because I'm just basically having a chance of getting injured. It doesn't make any Slovenia sense. Slovenia was in the semifinals. Uh, right, but Slovenia, yeah. yeah, yeah but, Slovenia. but Serbia, Germany, Russia, France, Spain all have really Decent good. Teams. But that's where most of the, the, the foreign NBA players come from. Right, right. Um, Croatia, and, they, had, they had sometimes too. Yeah, and um, well, China had... Yao Ming, but I, no, I, right. I don't think there's been a lot of players from China. And there are uh, players from various countries in Africa as well. Many of them, however, are coming to school for the U.S. They're playing college, and they learn a lot of basketball outside of their native country. So they may play for a national team, but you know, I think it's kind of hit or miss with what kind of team they can put together. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash FTAPON. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the Wander Learn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.